And if you have your Bible then, I want you to open your Bible, please. And we're going to go to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. And we're going to go to chapter 15. Now we're going to read Exodus 15 and we're just going to read from verse 22. And then we'll go into chapter 16 and we're going to read the first one or two verses of chapter 16. Just for a basis of our reading this evening. So Exodus 15 and verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Chapter 16, please. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Keep your Bible open. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful, inspired word that you've given us, Lord, here just to, to learn from, to give us strength and help, healing and health. And Father, we thank you for the word. We pray, Father, that you would just, Lord, bless everyone that watches Everyone that hears, we pray, Father, that you would help them. Help them right where they are, Lord, and touch them the way they need touched, Lord. You know every heart, you know every situation, you know every life. We pray, Lord, for their health and their strength, but we pray for a blessing to your people. Pray for those, Lord, that know your Son, you'll encourage them. And if there's someone that does not know your Son, we pray you'd save them. Glorify your name, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. In Exodus 15 here now, and in verse 22, we see uh, that Israel has taken their journey, and it's from the Red Sea till they come to a place called Marah, and it's a three days journey, three days journey. Now you can't blame them because they're thirsty, and I think all of us would complain, we would say, where are you bringing us to, what's happened here, uh, you know, where's the water we're going to drink? But nevertheless, it shows you down through this of, of the murmurings of the children of Israel. They murmured, and it's something like 14 times the word murmur is mentioned in the scripture. And it's all linked to do with Israel. And so We want a drink of water, where's the water? Or later, we want some food, where's our food? And that's not the way it means here. It means something 
completely different. It means part of that, but it's a different and a deeper sort of a meaning. In Exodus 15 and in verse 23, it says, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they, they were bitter. Therefore the name of it is called Marah, which means bitter. So here, it's not that Israel found the waters bitter and named it Marah. It's more like they came to a place that was known and the waters were bitter when they came. And it was always bitter. And you know, it's like life and it's like sin in our world. And it's like the, the hatred against the things of God and the gospel because there's always bitterness there. Always bitterness towards the word. Always bitterness in hearts of men. That, that depravity of human nature is at enmity with God. They are an enemy of God. We all were. We were all children of wrath until God stepped into our situation. And, and it takes the Lord, as it were, to make things sweet. Maybe you're in a better situation and you're saying, I, I can't see an end to this situation. Well, you know, the Lord can make things sweet. You know, the Lord, they, they come and they find the water still bitter. What are we going to do? And here it is, bitter water, nothing we can do with it. In other words, it was undrinkable, unusable, it was good for nothing. And sometimes our situations seem like Moses has brought them. And now Moses is getting the blame. And the, the children of Israel are saying, this water is bitter. So let's just look at the bitterness for a moment before we look at the tree. As I said, it was a three days journey after the Red Sea crossing. The people murmured. And, and the word for murmured here is the word loon or lean. And it, it, it's used for other words which seem nothing like the word bitter. It's as though, how does this even fit into this word? Let me give you an example. For example, the, the, it can also mean to abide, to halt, to stay over. And yet it means bitter. Because it can mean to lodge. So if someone was to, in the scriptures were to go on to lodge for the night, it was the word Mara. And here the idea of it is, but it gives the idea where it goes further, it means to abide. And then on the bad, or if we call it the bad side of it, the negative side of it, it means to be obstinate. To be obstinate and to complain. So when we put this together, the idea of this bitterness is when they came to this water, they were like the water then at this point. And they were, as it were, putting the foot down. They had put the brakes on. And they were starting to rebel against God's anointed leadership. And they were starting to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And so the idea of it really is, is it's like someone having blinkers on. And when they have blinkers on, they go into that stupor. You know that stupor when they can't come out of that rage and that anger or that bitterness or that nastiness and, and all the, and they live in that situation. That's murmuring. That's murmuring. It's not sometimes when you're feeling unwell and you say, oh Lord, this is terrible and you're complaining. That's not the idea of it. There's people unwell today. This virus, there's people unwell. And, but the murmuring is, is whenever you get into the stupor of it. And you get into that blinkered position where it's all you can see, it's all you can fix your eyes upon and focus on. And it eats you up and takes up your heart. That's the idea of the murmuring. So it wasn't just they needed a drink. They had put the brakes on. They weren't going any further. And they were saying, Moses, you're to blame. You're to blame. You know what you find? Uh, that Not only do they blame Moses on this. In Exodus chapter 16 and in verse 2, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
And then if we let if you let your eye run down to verse seven, and in the morning then shall you see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. Now they're murmuring against the Lord. And so what we find here is is they have come into this mindset. Mindset where nothing's going to do until my flesh is fixed. Nothing's going to do until my murmuring is eased. And I don't know how you're going to do this, Moses. I don't know how you're going to do this, Aaron. And I don't know how you're going to do this, God. But this is where I am. I'm going no further. Obstinate. They're abiding, as it were. They're stopping as though someone's staying overnight. That's the idea of this. We're not going any further. And there's rebellion. And brothers and sisters, could I say, there's many, many things in life. Many things in church. There's many things all around us that can cause us to be hurt, can cause us to be uh, discouraged. And if we allow them to put blinkers, the blinkering of discouragement and hurt on us, and whatever else it may be, disillusionment and, and the things that are outside that come and blinker us where we see and hear nothing but this alone, we start losing sight of God. And sooner or later, that anger and bitterness creeps up. Maybe someone said something to you, hurt you, or, or whatever. You, 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 you're sitting in this state of murmuring. And God wants to bring you on. God wants to bring you further. But he can't bring you on and he can't bring you any further until you stop your murmuring. Until you stop your murmuring. Until you see him. Until you see the bigger picture. You say, Lord, you're still sovereign. I'm in need. I'm going through this. Whatever it may be. I've been hurt. I've been let down by people or pastor or whoever else it may be. And you say, I'm going on with you, Lord. I'm going on with you. Keep your heart sweet. Not better. And so the, 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 they have murmured against uh, Moses and Aaron for water. And in verse 3, they, of Exodus 16, they murmur against them for food. And it says, And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand, died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the food. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So now they're murmuring for food. And the thing about it is, at the fall of the garden in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned and death came, the first one of the first things that happened after that was Adam tried to blame everyone else. He said to God, the woman. So poor Eve gets the blame. The woman that you gave me, he says to God. She gave it to me and I did eat. And that's part of the fall, is to look for somewhere else rather than to fix the situation, rather than to trust in the Lord on it. That's part of the problem. Keep your heart sweet and let God work in it. Let God work in you. Notice here, when they come to Elam in chapter 16, in verse 1 and then the verse before that in chapter 15 in verse 27, this is Israel's second encampment after the Red Sea. You had Marah, then Elam. Marah and then Elam. We're going to look at that in a little while as well because I think it's very important because the Lord has put some, uh, something in there that I think we need to unpack and to look at. But nevertheless, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25, it says uh, and of Moses, 
and he cried unto the Lord. There's your first port of call. Not to argue with the people. He cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. There's our title. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The waters were made sweet. Now, the Lord showed him a tree. There's a little word there, showed. And the little word showed, it actually, the root word of it, or that word is the root word of the word, believe it or not, Torah. T-O-R-A-H. You know what Torah is? Torah is the first five books of Moses. Or it means instruction, the word of God. Instruction, the word of God. So the little word showed here, it means God instructed him and his word showed him a tree. I think it's fantastic. The word of God is just amazing. And, and here we're finding out that, uh, that the Lord is already starting to work on a plan. Bring it, into, bring it into being among Israel and they don't even realize it. Now we're going to look at this, God willing, in a way. But this tree is a picture of Calvary. It's a picture of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the word of God, the Lord himself, clothed in flesh. And here he is, the, the Torah of God, as it were, the law giver, but the law keeper. And here now he, he, he is on the cross, the tree. And when God shows us the tree, God shows it and that sin and that life and those addictions, the things that's bound us, that which binds us, holds us, restrains us, keeps us, that drags us, as it were, and we'll, we'll end up in a lake of fire. That bitterness of, of that life, of the old life, of the old man, of the old woman, that bitterness, having this tree put into our bitterness, having this tree applied, this tree is Calvary. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here salvation, a, a, a foreshadowing of salvation is already in this tree. The Lord showed him. Remember the root is Torah instructed him. And the Lord instructs us through the Holy Spirit to the crown of blood. The Holy Spirit brings us to the sacrifice. The Holy Spirit brings us. He brings us to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice Mara is the first encampment. The bitter is made sweet when the tree is applied into it. But I want to look at the first mention of a tree. The first mention. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11. If you'd like to turn with me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. They have the, the story of creation. And if we can get this, there's a, there's a spiritual element to this as well. We need to look at this, because this is going to be a springboard, as it were, through some scriptures here. Genesis 1 verse 11, And God said, notice, that's the word. And God said, that's the word. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Notice the fruit tree. That's the first mention of the English word tree. The fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. And the thing about it is, is the next time when we go through the creation story, by the time you go into Genesis chapter 2, there's two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and the tree of life. And these mean something. People have tried to work it out, but I'm going to try and explain what I feel myself and think. And whenever we look at this, so we have the, the tree, the fruit tree in Genesis 1 and 11. And whenever we think of the tree bringing forth fruit, then we ask, what sort of fruit do we as men as trees, women as trees, uh, what sort of fruit do we bring forth? For example, in Psalm 1, the very first psalm, if you want to turn to it with me, let's turn together. The very psalm number 1. And when we look at this, I want you to see men, women, in other words, humans as trees. Notice Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now stop for a moment. The man who does not walk, stand, or sit among the sinners. And then he meditates on the law, the Torah. He meditates on the law. So notice the link then goes into the next verse. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So now, the, now God's words telling us he's linking the word, uh, if you want the commandments of the Lord, the five books of Moses, the Torah, he's linking it with fruit bearing. The tree bearing fruit. Very important. Verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but they are like ch the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. Not, that's not that they won't be in judgment. It means they'll not be able to have a, a standing, a righteous standing. They'll have no excuse in judgment. They'll not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So where the, the righteous, the, the believers will be, those who are meditating, those who have the, the word of God written on their hearts, those people will not be with those who are, that have the righteousness of Christ. For the, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish so you can see here the difference notice and the tree in verse 3 he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither notice it's not a wild tree it's a planted tree notice it's it, it's a personally particularly privately planted tree so he's planted it's not wild for example, it means he, he's, he's considered to be someone's property. This tree is someone's property. So when you're the, the, the one who's walking before, with the Lord and you have the word of God and you meditate in his, in his word day and night, you're his when you've been at the cross, that is, you've been saved. But, and this is, shows the fruit that will bear forth from this. Listen, it says in Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13, it says, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. Underline and note that, because remember back in Exodus 15, 27, in Exodus 16 and verse 1, Elam, they come to, Elam means trees, or particularly it means palm trees. Palm trees. 
Now we're going to mention something later, so note that down. So here in Psalm 92 verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Can I ask you, are you planted? Are you planted in Christ? Are you planted in the Word? And are you planted in the house of the Lord? Notice this. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 17 now, please. Jeremiah 17. And what we're going to see is uh, something similar that Jeremiah the prophet is bringing out from Psalm 1. Jeremiah 17 and verses 5 until 8, please. Verses 5 until 8. Thus saith the Lord, Notice, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. He shall not see when good cometh. He shall not see when good cometh. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. Now that gives pretty barren poor picture. Verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. Notice, he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And the thing about this is here is that the, the psalmist is telling us about this tree. It's planted by the waters. The waters representing the Holy Spirit. It's planted in the house of God. It's planted in the word of the Lord. Notice, and it's eating up, as it were, the nutrients between the word and the spirit, the spirit and the word. And when we get to a time like this COVID-19, when we get to a time like all those other illnesses haven't went away, People dying of cancers and getting uh, bad reports and, and all of these things. Well, this is your hope. This is your help. This is your strength because your trust is in the Lord and your hope is in the Lord. That's what it says here in uh, verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. There's your blessing. Whose hope the Lord is. Not just in the Lord, but he is your hope. So you'll be like the tree. So the trees are like men, like women, like people. And then if you want to go to another one, it's in the Song of Solomon, please. In the Song of Solomon, and we're just going to lift one verse. And the one verse is in verse 3. So what we have is the, the book of Solomon, while you're looking that up, the book of, uh, of the Song of Solomon it is really Solomon and what people say is a Shudamite girl, which means he is the great king of Israel. Here the king of Israel is coming down the path, as it were. He sees this young woman working in the vineyard. The vineyard's always also a picture of Israel. And here Solomon comes down, sees her dirty in ragged clothing, and he brings her into his banqueting house, his banner over his love. And we know all, even the songs that are written about that. The Song of Solomon is actually a song of songs. It means it's a love song. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. 
you know, uh, thy love is better than wine. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Uh, um, I, I am as the tents of Gadar, as the curtains of Solomon, she says in her part of the song. So I'm on the tents of Qadar where the, the tents put up, weather beaten, they, they started off well, they became weather beaten, they became dirty, rough, ragged and sewed up where it was patched like scar works across it. And because of that then she sees herself as that's who I am. I'm like the tents of Qadar. Then she goes on in her song as the curtains of Solomon, but there she's in the palace. There she's all cleaned up, washed up and dressed up. And is that what the Lord does for us? And there is the curtains of Solomon blowing, as it were, in the wind. She looks at them and says, I'm also tense of Gadar. Without him, that's who I am. But with him, I'm like those curtains, beautiful in the palaces of Solomon. These ornate, beautiful cloth uh, curtains. So you can see what this is about. This is about redemption. This is love song. This is Solomon the Shulamite or, or, or if you want Yahweh in the Old Testament with Israel. And even into the New Covenant we see it, it's, it's the redeemed saints. It's the redeemed bride of Christ. Christ is the bridegroom coming again. It's, that's the whole song of Solomon here. And so when we look at this, this, look at it through these eyes. And in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 3 it says, As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. So she's speaking of her beloved. This is our Lord Jesus Christ of us. This is Yahshua. I sat under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. I think it's wonderful that, that this is, people maybe just glance past us, but when you think of the context that's written in, his great love to come and die for us. And, but not only to take us from the world of sin. He took the Shunammite from the vineyard. He took her from the, the dirty fields and as it were. He took us from the fields of sin. Took us from the vineyard. He took us from our nation's uh, sin all around us. And he washed us in his blood. He clothed us in his righteousness. We, we, we're feasting at his table. We sit at his word and we eat on it. And she likens him to an apple tree. Now some Hebrew renderings think it could be pomegranate or or, or, or even orange tree. Maybe not apple. But nevertheless, uh, I, I'm trusting the, the King James translators here because they were the best um, translators. And uh, it's a lovely translation. Notice this. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. So in other words, he, out of all of these sons, she sees him. None, none could do it like he does it. And you see, the Lord Jesus Christ came after the seed of Abraham. He came from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah, among the sons, as it were, of Israel. And here she sees him above all others, because he's also the king, don't forget. But she sees him as a lowly apple tree. There's great cedars. Why not pick a great cedar where other times they may, she may? But here she's likening him to that. And she says four things. First of all, one, there's rest in this verse. She says, I sat down. There's rest for you. Resting in Christ because she knew he loved her. She knew he had redeemed her. He had brought her in to his house. She knew that she could rest in that. She could rest in what he had done, not what she could never attain to. There's your rest. I sat down. Secondly, there's shelter here. She says, I sat down under his shadow. So here she has shelter. And not only 
I'm not his and not only can rest in it, but I'm sheltered by him. He protects me. He's our protection. He's our deliverance. He's our salvation. And then when we go into uh, uh, the third point on this one, there's joy. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. There's joy. You know, being saved is, a, is the most wonderful thing that we could ever have. Being forgiven of our sins and the knowledge of knowing you're forgiven of your sins and the knowledge of knowing that you're loved with an everlasting love from our Father in heaven. And, and to realise that, to know it, to accept it, to believe it and to receive it for yourself. I mean, what greater joy is it? There's a song, uh, I used to, a little course one time I used, to, uh, I used to sing, and there's one line used to really hit me all the time, and he used to say, there's joy in loving you. And that's the truth. There's joy in my heart for loving Jesus, because I love him. You love him because he first loved us. And here there's joy with great delight, she says. And then fourthly, there's feeding. You'll not grow hungry. You'll not go hungry with him. She says then, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He satisfies the soul. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. You know, whenever we think of these things in our salvation, and our redemption, it's just amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. So the apple tree is Christ here. The apple tree is Yahweh. And here he's above all others. And yet he's so lowly. And it's not what he done. He, he became one of us that he might redeem us. In John chapter 15 and verse 1 he says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. And the reason he's saying that I am the true vine is because the vineyard of the vine is a symbol of Israel. And what he's saying is, Israel, you've failed. That we have all failed. Israel, you've failed. But this is what he's saying. I am the true Israelite. I'm a, I am what you're meant to be and you can't be. He's perfect. Sinless, spotless. He's holy, undefiled. He was separate from sinners. You know sin, did no sin, was yet without sin. He's a, the spotless Lamb of God and the impeccable Son. And we are in him. Amazing. He's a unique son among all of those sons. Among all of us. I'm a son of God. But I'm not the son of God. He's the unique son. He is the unique, the one and only. He's the one, he says, this is my beloved son. The only begotten son. Notice here, there's another one here in Isaiah 55 and in verse 12. Isaiah 55 and verse 12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Now, can I ask you a question? Do mountains and hills sing? Not unless you have someone like Julie Andrews on it and the hills are alive with the sound of music. Here we don't, hills don't sing, mountains don't sing. And trees don't have hands to clap. The idea of this is really speaking about empires and kingdoms, thrones and dominions. Speaking of men, nations, clapping their hands. 
ministries. And the coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to rule over all the earth. When he comes, he's going to rule it with a rod of iron too. He's going to rule it with a rod of iron. Let's go on because of a lot I want to get through here. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 10. Matthew 3 and verse 10. Let me turn to it with you. For time's sake I had written a lot of them down. But Matthew 3 and verse 10. Notice what it says here. Now also, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes you am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, the idea of this is, is John the Baptist is speaking of the coming of our Lord Jesus. He's going to come. I baptize you in repentance. We read about that during the book of Acts. People were saved and baptized unto repentance then when the like of Paul went along and seen some, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And he says, we not heard so much of there be any Holy Ghost. He baptized them and then he laid hands on them and they all received the Holy Ghost, began to speak with tongues. Notice this. Notice this. John says, now also the axe is laid onto the root of the trees. John is talking about the Judaism of the day here. John's saying that the temple is going to be destroyed. John is saying their, their, their ritualism and their religion, and their Talmudism, all of that is going to be taken away. The axe is about to be cut into the tree. And it says trees, plural. The nation of, of, of the Jews, as it were at the time, or Judah at the time, that were there, that's going to be taken away completely. But every man's going to stand as a tree, as it were, the trees. And every man that's not in Christ, they're going to be offered the gospel here. And every man that's not in Christ, they're going to be cut down. And whenever we think of this, go with me if you can to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. This is near the end of our Lord's earthly ministry then. Luke chapter 21. And notice what the Lord Jesus says. Now I haven't time to go through this, but you just want to lift out a verse here. Luke 21 and verse uh, 29. Verse 29. The Lord Jesus says, It says, And he spake unto them a parable, Behold a fig tree and all the trees. And the Lord Jesus is speaking here. He says, See, the fig tree was a symbol of Judah, or later it became known as the fig tree of the Jews. And you remember when they were going into Jerusalem and they cursed the fig tree because he went to take fruit off it and there was none? As it were, it was, the axe was laid to the root, only it was a cursing of, by the word. And so here the Lord's saying that there's going to come a time when the fig tree will sprout forth again and bear leaves, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit. And when they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. AD 70, the temple was taken away. So whenever we look at this, we see that trees and men, trees and nations, they're all linked together. They're all linked together. 
Obviously, there are literal trees uh, throughout the scripture too, but these ones I'm, I'm showing you. So look, whenever we look at this, we think of Mark chapter 8 and verse 24, when the Lord was healing the blind man. Remember, he, he anointed his eyes with the mud and he, he says, what do, you, what do you see? And he says, I see men as trees walking. So the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The men, the people walking, this nation are not bearing fruit. It's going to be taken away. And now this man is saying, I see men as trees. Who's going to receive this word? Who's going to receive this gospel? And we know we, we, we then hear of, of the disciples and those who receive it at the day of Pentecost and so on and so on. But that's the idea of it here. In other words, the, the axe is already there, ready to be laid. And so whenever we look at this, we see the link between men and trees. But then in Matthew 7, the, uh, the Lord Jesus talks about bearing good fruit and bearing corrupt fruit or bad fruit. Matthew 7 and verse 18, he says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. In other words, if you're his, in other words, those who are his, those who are the Lord's people, the saved, those who are Christ, they shouldn't be able to bring forth bad fruit. That doesn't mean to say we're perfect. It's talking about striving to bring forth fruit. It, it, it means to bring forth things to the glory of God, to the service of Christ. And those who, uh, there's good fruit and there's corrupt fruit. And the idea is, is there, it looks like a tree, but it's rotten on the inside, or there's a, a, a bad poison in it which comes out. And that brings us right back to the murmurings of when we murmur, God can't bring you any further. There's a, there's a, a root there. So here we find the good is agathos and the corrupt is sapros. And so when we look at agathos, it's, it, it's, it means good and it's actually akin to the word agape as well. You know, it's where that loveliness is. And so whenever we look then at sapros, it means that which is rotten inside or maybe that, that which is at no use for production. When we go to Revelation now, the last book of your Bible, there are two olive trees. And the two witnesses are two olive trees. I'm going to give you my, what I think, and you can, people say, is this Moses and Elijah, the, the law and the prophets, and they go through different ones. And in Revelation 11 and 4, it says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. I believe these are two houses of Israel where Israel separated into two houses, in the north and the south. And Israel in the north became known as the, 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 the vine, and the south became uh, the house of Israel, the vine, and the south, the house of Judah, became the fig tree. And so that's how you, you see then the difference in these trees. Joseph is a, a fruitful boy, even a fruitful boy whose branches have run over the well. And, and it talks about this boy, this vine that goes over. And we're going to look at Joseph before we finish here. So we have we have the, the these two tree these two olive trees then, which are representing uh, Israel, because the olive represented all of Israel as well. So you have Israel and Judah, and here we have them, but in Christ. Okay? Then in, we have in Revelation twenty two and verse two, this is where it gets a little bit different. We have the tree of life. Let's turn to it. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 2. 
Let's just read verse 1, sure. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Now his name on their foreheads isn't that he's going to write Jesus or Yahshua or something across our heads, or the way, the way we think of, well, oh, there's going to be a mark of the beast. And No, it means the, the word. It's the teaching. The Torah, remember we looked back, showed him a tree. It's the teaching is in our mind. It's in our hearts. That's the idea. We are going to be taught the commandments, uh, the, the grace, the love of Christ. All of that's going to be, that's what we'll live in. That's, that's our whole being. But notice here, there's a, a, a water of life in verse 1. And there's a tree of life in verse 2 of the chapter. The thing about it is, if you let your eye run on down then, to verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Notice the word. This is commandments, New Testament. This is after Christ comes. This is the, the kingdom age. This is all of this happening. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Of course, this city is a new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is, is the, the saints of God, um, the redeemed of the Lord. But notice this. The word here uh, for tree of life brings us right back to the book of Genesis. Genesis. So if we were to go to the book of Genesis, please, with me. Genesis chapter 2. And when you go to Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> let's just read a couple of verses. Verse 8, please. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. That's Adam man, Adam. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I note here, there's all the trees that are pleasant, wasn't that there wasn't any other trees. There were plenty of other trees. There's a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. People say, oh, Eve ate an apple. And we're not going to go into that today. But when I look at the apples, apple tree in, in uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 3, I wonder, do they get it from that? This has nothing to do with apples. Um, but nevertheless, I, I just thought I would make a point. Here, the Lord planted the garden. He puts Adam and Eden and here he plants these trees and he says there's two in the midst of the garden, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the word tree needs to look at here. Tree here is the word aits, which means wood, timber, stick, anything that comes from a tree, anything that's wood. So it's called tree. And the word life, kaim, aits kaim is the term for tree of life. And it means living the life, that which is alive. So here's a little thought for you. The tree of life 
is the Word of God. The Word of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and then by verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I notice here, the aids came, the tree of life. In the, in the days of our Lord, I believe it, it actually happens today as well. Um, in synagogues but in the synagogues of, of, of the Lord Jesus day when the word was made flesh the son of God when he came we're told that he in Luke chapter 4 he goes into the synagogue after coming out of the wilderness and he's given the scroll and looks up Isaiah the prophet and one of the things is they'll make those the trees of righteousness the plantings of the Lord I have time to read it you read it and you go when I'm finished the, the, uh, Luke chapter 4 the trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. And the thing about this is, is I'm told with those scrolls, so we know that there's there's two sticks of it, as it were, two staves. Do you know what they call those staves? The branches. The branches. And it also we're also told that um, on the, the leaves of it, where the holy writ is, they call it leaves. Leaves on branches. That's the scroll of the Torah and the prophets. And so here you have, they actually, they, so they actually call this the Ayetz Kaim. They call that scroll when they left it out the tree of life. So when Luke 4, when Jesus was into the synagogue to preach on them to say, search the scriptures, when he tells the Jews, for in them you think you have eternal life, but those are they scrolls those are they the scriptures those are they the word of god those are they which testify of me so now you see he's the tree of life so the word and the commandments are the tree of life he is all of that and the embodiment of it so here we find that um these leaves here in in, in revelation 22 we're told that the leaves are of the trees were for the healing of the nations. The leaves of this tree heals the nation. The, the leaves of the word of God would heal our nation. The leaves of the word of God heals the soul. The leaves of the word of God heals the mind. The leaves of the word of God can heal the body. The leaves of the word of God can heal the situation. Calm it down. The leaves of the word of God is for the healing of the nation. I don't think it's literal trees. Spirit becomes flesh. We have it on page. Now we have the written word. So I hope that's uh, maybe making you think a little bit about that. And you could search that yourself. But this tree represents Christ. Um, the tree of life is God's word. And the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were in the garden. Here's the thing. In Revelation 22 when we went to verse 14, actually it was in verse 2 and in verse 14, I just came from a place when I should have kept it. Give me one second. Notice what it says in verse 2, in the midst of the street of it. Now people try and think, all the scholars, you can read through all the commentaries, I'm not making this up. We don't know. 
they don't know they're, and they're more learned and better than me so it, some of them think it means a, uh, what John saw was a row of trees along the side of the river but the tree is one but yet the, the word can reach many so they're not sure some think it was a tree in the middle of the river so is Christ and the spirit flowing through him the spirit and the word representing here others think uh, that it was a tree that went right over the river this river of water, this spirit of God. And so whatever it is, but there's, I'm, I, they're better learned than me. I leave that to them. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, there was, a, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree, we have them in written. Isn't it strange? That even our Bibles, even every page, every leaf of our Bible is made from tree. Paper comes from trees. Strange, isn't it? Or is it? And then whenever we get to verse 14 of chapter 22. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, may enter into the, through the gates into the city. Here's what I'm trying to show you here. There's no tree of knowledge of good and evil in the book of Revelation. There is no tree of knowledge. In other words, there's no tree of knowledge that will take away the innocency as it did from Adam and Eve. They were naked in the garden. They didn't know it until they sinned. They just trusted God fully, in other words. They just trusted God completely. And then the serpent comes and with him in the mix, everything is messed up then. I'm coming to a close soon, so stay with me. There's no tree of knowledge of good and evil. But in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, it says, The devil which deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Look at this, the devil's there. The one who came, that old serpent in the garden. And in Revelation 20 and verse 14 it says, And death and hell or the grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. In verse 15 it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Have you been found written in the book of life? The, the lake of fire is the second death. There's going to be those who are born once and die twice. Born from their mother. And they may die in this life and be resurrected to die in the second death of of lake of fire. And then there are those who are born twice who maybe die once. Born of your mother and father. And then born again of the spirit. And if Jesus tarry you may die once. That is in your flesh, your body. But you live in him. So when we go back to Exodus 15, it says, And the Lord showed him a tree. See, the Lord would show his Calvary. That's, that's where everything changes. The Lord shows his Calvary. For in Revelation 20 and 15, it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast on the lake of fire. Listen, the, the, the whosoever's there. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
So what choice soever would you be? Notice Exodus 15 and 25, the Lord showed him a tree of life. Now Moses, who's shown this tree, this root for Torah, this instruction of living. That's what we're looking at tonight. This instruction for living. Moses was the man of the law. And yet in the tree he's shown grace. The law couldn't cure the bitterness. The law was beside that bitter water. In other words, it's like our sin, it's like our, our hearts, it's like our, our waywardness, it's like all of that stuff. And the law shows us this. But it's not till Calvary is applied. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Shows us when they're a sinner. Shows us when we're, we need saved, we need forgiven, we need to repent. And notice here, the Lord showed him, that's revelation. And what did he show him? A tree. That's provision. That's grace. So we'll finish in Exodus 15, verse 27. It says, And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, three score and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Twelve wells and seventy palm trees. I've read commentators and I've wondered, I wonder if that any significance because I believe that this Bible we have, that this word we're talking about, I believe this Bible does not just contain the Word of God. We believe it is the Word of God from cover to cover. So I have read commentators and I'll be honest, I've been discouraged by them because they, some of them have said, we need not look into this 12 wells of water and three score and ten palm trees. Why would the Holy Spirit put that there? if it wasn't for a reason. So when I thought about this, let me take you to Genesis chapter 66. Pardon me, 46. Genesis 46. And let's I run down to verse 27. Genesis 46 and verse 27. And the sons of Joseph which were born him in Egypt were two souls. Two sons of Joseph, okay? Joseph goes in, sold into Egypt. Remember the story by his brothers himself. So there's one. Then there's two sons. One Joseph becomes two sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. Notice what it says here. All the souls of the house of Jacob which came into Egypt were three score and ten. Three score and ten, that's seventy. That's 70. There's 70 palm trees in Exodus 15 and 27. There's 70 go in. Jacob comes down, remember, for the grain. There's a famine. And Joseph, his name is, is, is changed to Safnath Panea, where he's a revealer of secrets or dreams or mysteries. But it also he's called the saviour of the world, that is, the saviour of his people, or of the Egyptians too, the people then, all of the people. So he's a type of Christ. One saviour, one person, one man. And then there's two sons. This is the second encampment. Elam is the second encampment. You have Mara, bitter. And then you have the second encampment where there's blessing. And the thing about this is also when we look at this, Manasseh, Joseph's sons, Manasseh uh, means God has made me to forget my bitterness. Forget my trouble. That was in uh, what had happened to Joseph. In Potiphar's house, he's put in the he's in the pit, and then he's in the prison. After that, 
God has made me to forget my bitterness and my and then Ephraim means fruitful. God's made me fruitful. I put him next in line to Pharaoh in Egypt. And what was it for? For the saving of his house, saving of Israel. So there's one Joseph, there's two sons, second encampment, 70 palm trees, 70 souls of Jacob go into Egypt. And when they come out of Egypt, how many tribes are there? I know there's 13 counting the sons, but the original tribes, there's 12. There's 12. 12 waters, that's 12 tribes, 70 palm trees, 70 souls, one Joseph, two sons, two encampments. And here we find it says that the Saviour, that is Joseph of the world, he says, his bitterness has become sweet. You know, God showed him a tree, he showed me a tree when I seen Christ on the tree. Faith, and I got saved. You've got saved. In Acts 5 and 30, Peter says, The God of our fathers has raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Galatians chapter 3 and 13, Paul says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He hasn't redeemed us from the law, from the curse of the law. The law is written in our hearts. And we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. The Lord showed him a tree. The Lord showed me a tree. Calvary, Golgotha, the Lord shows you a tree. You're not saved tonight. God needs to show you the tree, the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus, the blood that He came Himself, who His own self bare our sins. No one else could do it. No one could take the marrow of life and sin, the bitterness, and the law that was taking us to it, showing us it in our lives. It's to point us then to the tree. The Lord showed him a tree. The Lord shows him Calvary. The Lord showed uh, Moses the law, the, or pardon me, the Torah, the instruction, the teaching, and putting the tree into the water. The tree became sweet. So there we go.